is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. If you could stand for the reading of God's word. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The word of the Lord. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Dean. Our mission statement, that's what my this series of sermons has been on, so let's review. Um, what's the first aspect of our mission statement? Good. What's the second aspect of our mission statement? Great. Connect people with Jesus. And um, last week I gave you kind of a tool to use and that might help us connect people with Jesus. Do you remember what that tool was? Pardon? Yeah, we pray for our neighbors. We we seek God and ask him to lay the hearts of five, or lay the names and households of five neighbors on our hearts. And we we will pray for them five minutes a day for five weeks and see what kind of blessings God brings or doors God opens. Um, anybody having seen any impact from that yet? I know we've just had one week. Okay. Well, I hope you're doing that. Um, pray for five neighbors, five minutes a day, five days a week for five weeks and see what God will do. Um, so we're on the third part of our mission statement, the third aspect, and that is what? Well, it's exactly what Jesus told us to do in the passage that Dean read for us just moments ago. Um, I want to read an article. It's from Agape Press, and it says this. A well-known Christian researcher says the church in America today is composed of many converts, but shockingly few disciples. George Barna bases his conclusion on two years of research into the state of discipleship among those who say they have accepted Christ as their Savior. In one of the most disturbing findings, Barna says... When Christian adults were asked to identify the most important goal for their life, not a single person said it was to be a committed follower of Christ. Or to make disciples. Other findings include that the vast majority of born-again Christians do not believe that absolute truth exists. And less than 1% thought that there was a connection between their efforts to worship God 
and the development as a disciple of Jesus. They made no connection there. In addition, when thirteen, when given 13 basic teachings from the Scripture, from the Bible, only 1% of adult believers embraced all 13 as being biblical principles. So we kind of pick and choose. Barna notes that part of the problem is that while most churches have plenty of teaching programs, very few have developed a well-conceived model of what discipleship really is. Ouch. Ouch, right? Ouch. So I want to begin this morning by talking about what is a disciple? Well, is a, a disciple is someone who has made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. Now, I would guess that when we hear the word disciple, we often have a tendency to think of the 12 guys that hung out with Jesus while he was on earth. Those are the disciples. And we would be correct in that thinking. However, the Greek term for disciple, um, the Greek word for disciple actually means pupil or learner. Now, to, that would apply to Jesus' disciples, but it's got a much broader context than just those 12 men. A disciple is an apprentice or understudy to a teacher. Moses had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Rabbis and even Pharisees in Jesus' day had disciples. A disciple is one who accepts the views of the teacher and seeks to, to adhere in, be, in both belief and practice to their lives. In other words... It is the goal of the disciple to be just like the teacher. Hmm. Applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from Him to live like Him. Someone who, because of God's grace, conforms his or her words and ways to the words and ways of Jesus. We, when we talk of someone who is a Christ follower, we are saying that they are a disciple of Jesus Christ and they want to be Christ-like. If we choose to, be, to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, then we need to understand what is required of a disciple. And I'm not going into that in depth today, but Jesus was pretty clear about it. He said this in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Whoever desires to come after me, in other words, to be a disciple of mine, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's not the little one you wear around your neck, by the way. In Luke 14, 26, we have a, kind of an expanded version of that statement. Here's what Luke said um, is, is, is regarding Jesus' statement. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, 
even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. By the way, you know, we have a different view of that word hate than they did. To hate in their language meant to love less. So hate doesn't mean this vicious kind of a thing. It meant to love less. So, anyone who does not love less, their father and mother, sister and brother, cannot follow me, Jesus said. In other words, Jesus is asking for total commitment here. He has to be number one in our lives if we are to be his disciple. Here's, here's, here then is what the Apostle Paul's take on that. Here, here's what he said. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, yes, and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, oh, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. He's talking about discipleship. Galatians 2.20 Again, Paul speaking, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved, him, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's discipleship. Total commitment to the cause of Jesus Christ. So, then a disciple is motivated by the cause of Christ. If we're going to be totally committed to Jesus, we have to be motivated by what motivated Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus come? What was His cause? What motivated Him? Well, Luke 19, verse 10 tells us, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was the cause, is the cause of Jesus Christ and should be the cause of us as His disciples. That should be what motivates us as Christ followers. What motivated Jesus should motivate His disciples as well. In fact, the two pieces of our, first two pieces of our mission statement are about seeking and saving the lost. The first piece is about reaching out. The second piece is about connecting people with Jesus. It's evangelism. We reach out in service to show the love of Jesus to people and build relationships with them with the goal of connecting them with Jesus in a personal, saving relationship. And then once that happens, the discipleship process starts. Right? So, how do we grow Christ-like disciples? Well, um, in, in the passage that Dean read for us, it says, Therefore go and make disciples. 
That is one word in the Greek. I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I would mess it up. But what it means is this, to instruct with the purpose of making a disciple. It means not only to learn, but to become attached to one's teacher and to become his follower in doctrine and conduct of life. Christ-likeness. And then it says, we're to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching. That's that Greek word I think I can pronounce. It's didasko. And it means to instruct by word of mouth. It has the... In- Inherent in it, it has inherent in it the intention to influence the understanding of the person being taught. So it's not just a rote thing. Oh, well, I can say, for God so loved the world, that it's understanding what the Scripture means and how to apply it to our lives. And, And by the way, we need to take note of something at this point. When Jesus gave His disciples the Great Commission... It was a command that all his disciples and all the disciples that they would make right down through the generations to us, it was a command that we were all to obey. It wasn't just for the twelve. It's for every disciple that would come in generations to follow. So the command that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 is a command for us as well. Right, Ron? Amen. We are all to be disciplers. Jesus did not say, those of you with the gift of discipling make disciples. In fact, discipling isn't one of the spiritual gifts. You know, I kind of like those spiritual gifts things because I can say, well, you know, evangelism is one of the spiritual gifts and that's not my gift, so I'm going to... But discipling is not one of those things. We can't say, well, that's a spiritual gift that I don't have. It's not a spiritual gift. It's something we're all supposed to engage in. So we can't use that as an excuse. And by the way, um, well, it's not something just for pastors or missionaries or small group leaders or Sunday school teachers. It's God's commission for every follower of Christ to make disciples. So let's break that down. There are three key components, I think, in the discipleship-making process. And the first one is this, relationship. Relationship. Too often our approach to discipleship goes something like this. Okay, you made Jesus your Savior. We give Him a Bible and we say, read this. We give them a copy of the manual and we say, abide by this. We give them a schedule of our Sunday services and say, attend these. And we have a job opening and we say, serve here. Discipleship done. Now that may seem like the easy way of discipling, but it's not very effective. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, we see that Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two brothers, Simon, and Pe- Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. 
And they were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. And Jesus said, come follow me. And immediately it says they left their nets and they followed him. See, Jesus invited them to be in relationship with him. And this, that simple invitation changed their lives and the lives of the other disciples. And then, as that ripple effect went on, many in the world. This invitation, come follow me, is rooted in a simple and overlooked truth. Discipleship happens in the context of relationship. In the three years following their initial call to follow Jesus, the disciples grew in their relationship with Him, as well as in their relationship with one another. Right? He poured into 12 disciples, Jesus poured His very life and teaching into those disciples during the three years that they were together. The number one thing that Jesus did was get involved in their lives. He was intentional in relating to them as a group and also individually. Jesus knew their personalities. He knew their weaknesses. He knew their strengths. He knew the the areas where they needed development. Jesus was intentional in building relationships with His disciples. Everything He did with them and for them was intentionally geared toward helping them grow as disciples. And in, in, in addition to being intentional, Jesus made himself available to his disciples. He met with his disciples on a regular basis. In fact, he was with them pretty much 24-7. They basically lived together. His, available, his availability to his disciples shows that they were a priority in Jesus' life. For Jesus, discipleship was not just a program or a Bible study. It was a relationship. And it was not just a casual relationship. It was a deep, a close, a personal relationship. So discipleship happens in the context of relationship. And whether you are discipling someone or being discipled, you need to make yourself available. Now, I'm not talking about something like all dressing alike and moving into a Christian commune or necessarily spending every available moment together. What I am saying is that we should be together in context outside the church and classroom alone. We need to be able to share life together. Maybe to eat out together sometime, to share in an activity that maybe both enjoy. This way we see our life outside of just what we might consider the normal classroom discipleship setting. No matter how spiritually gifted we are and how much theology we know, people won't care what we know until they know we care. Our availability communicates that we are concerned about relationship and also you ever had uh, have you ever had people kind of express to you the idea that they look at us and well you guys have got it all together 
we know that's not true about us, don't we? And we need to demonstrate our vulnerability. The people we are discipling need to see that we have our own share of struggles and challenges. And if we do that, it's going to be easier for that person we're discipling to open up and share their struggles and challenges with us. But if we come across as somehow perfect, if they only see us in a certain light and in a certain context, as someone who doesn't have issues or problems, then they will not be open and vulnerable about their issues and struggles. It takes time to reach that point in a relationship. But we need to move in that direction. Openness and vulnerability strengthens our relationship with each other. When we disciple someone, we're not taking on a project. We are investing in a person. Therefore, building relationships should be a key component of discipleship. The second component, Scripture. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everything Jesus commanded is Scripture. Amen? John 8.31 To the Jews who had believed in Him, Jesus said, If you hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. Matthew 21.6 The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They obeyed his commands. In Matthew chapter 24, we see Jesus teaching his disciples on the Mount of Olives. He was teaching them regarding his second coming. And in that teaching, we see him quoting from the Old Testament. The Old Testament scripture as he teaches his disciples. And then in the passage that we read today, Jesus says to His disciples, and teaching them, the disciples that you are making, to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus' very words are Scripture, and we are to teach His Word to those we disciple. The intent of discipleship is to focus on the Word of God. What is the Word of God? Well, let's keep it simple. It's this book right here. And it's as much as the writings of well-known Christian pastors and writers are, as, as helpful as those can be, this is ultimate. This is what we're to teach disciples. This is what we're to pour into their lives. This is what we want to help them understand. Um, the Lord says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Unfortunately, too many Christians are not familiar with, do not have a knowledge and understanding of God's Word. Uh, it's, it's a sorry commentary, I think, on the state of the church and on the lives of many people who say that they're followers of Jesus Christ. They don't honestly have much of a clue about what Scripture says about a lot of things. And you... I remember I used to do this little... um, When I was doing 
work with teens, I'd do this little exercise and I'd give them a list of things and I'd say, is this in the Bible? A penny saved is a penny earned. <laughs> Cleanliness is next to godliness. But you know, there's a lot of people who would say, well, yeah, I think that's in there somewhere. We don't know what the Word of God actually says. And it's important for us as we're discipling others to get them into the Word of God so that they'll know it. They'll, they'll read it. They'll study it. It will become a part of their lives. Ultimately, the goal is to get us and them to live it. We don't want to be just hearers of the Word. We want to be doers of the Word. And that should be our goal in discipleship. In Romans 12.2, and we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning, it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Folks, the process of transformation begins by getting the Word of God into our minds and into our hearts. And as a result, our minds are renewed by that. We begin thinking through the light of Scripture. We begin thinking and doing things God's way. We have, we have too much in our world that encourages us to think in worldly ways, to think... We think through the lens of culture. We think through the lens of somebody who seems really smart and has said this about that subject. And we don't go to the Word of God to find out what God says about those things. And we need to impress upon people's lives the importance of searching Scripture to find out what God's point of view is, is about so many of the things that we deal with in our lives and in our culture. The process of transformation begins by getting the Word of God into our lives and by renewing our minds with the Word of God. God's Word produces life transformation. People don't change unless the Word of God changes their perspective and their way of life. And I think we're finding out that we'll have the dealing... Where we have to deal with our, in our world and even in the church with the fact that a lot of people have not had their lives changed and their perspectives changed by the Word of God. God's Word is a non-negotiable aspect of discipleship. We cannot make disciples without using God's Word as a basis. And since we're, we're discipling people to Christ-likeness, to be more like Jesus, our discipleship must involve this life-transforming Word of God. Because Jesus is God. It's His Word from beginning to end. Sadly, many people have made discipleship all about increased knowledge of the Bible. And that's important and discipleship does require knowledge of Jesus and His ways, but it should be more than just increasing our head knowledge. Amen? Our knowledge of God's Word must result in our love for God, our passion for the lost, and a lifestyle that reflects the holiness that God requires. 
You know, um, I don't know if I've shared this story with you before, but we lived in Loveland back in 79, 80. We lived in a duplex. I had a next-door neighbor. And uh, it was a couple. And um, I remember hearing the screaming and the fighting and the crying. And, you know, that's what happens when you live in a duplex. Sometimes the walls don't have the soundproofing that you'd like. This guy came over to me one day. He had a box of commentaries. He probably actually knew more scripture in his head than I did. But it was having no impact on his life. So you can have it up here. It's got to go down here, doesn't it? That should be the goal of discipleship. The third component is this, ministry. John 13:35 Jesus said by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And we demonstrate our love for one another by serving one another, by engaging in ministry, by teaching in children's Sunday school or teens or or greeting at the door or ushering in the aisles or turning the lights on before everyone else gets her or playing the piano or, or singing to lead others into worship and the list goes on and on and on. In John 15 verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Folks, that's ministry. If we're effective or if we're being effective in ministry, it's going to bear fruit for the kingdom. Right? Right? (laughs) Jesus took His disciples with Him when He did ministry. Jesus took His disciples with Him when when He did ministry. His disciples saw Him in the ministry field, speaking to the crowd, healing the sick, casting out demons, feeding the hungry... They were there when all of that happened. Look, look at the feeding of the 5,000 for just a moment. It's in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17, where Jesus and His disciples fed more than 5,000 hungry people. And, and indeed, Jesus did a miracle at that point. He took very little and took it, turned it into much so that those people could all be fed. But He involved His disciples in the process. Jesus asked them to survey the crowd in terms of what food might be available. Remember what was available? Yeah, a little boy's lunch, wasn't it? Okay? He asked them to have the crowd sit down in groups so that they could eat. Jesus asked them to distribute the food that was miraculously multiplied. And He asked His disciples to collect the leftovers. What an, can you imagine how that impacted their lives? Not only did he take the lunch and feed all these people with that lunch, but then there were leftovers galore when everybody was done. Wow! And they were there and they were part of that. Jesus involved them in the process. He involved them in his ministry. In other words, Jesus 
and his disciples did ministry together. They did ministry together. Everywhere that Jesus went, the Lamb was sure to go. His disciples went. And when and wherever Jesus ministered to people, his disciples were present to witness and participate in that ministry. They learned to minister by observing and doing. Likewise, when Paul discipled Timothy, he invited Timothy to join him in his missionary journeys. And I'm sure that Timothy learned how to do ministry by joining Paul in his ministry trips and seeing him in actual ministry situations. In fact, Paul was able to entrust Timothy to be a church leader because he had personally discipled him. And just like the Jesus disciples, those we are discipling can learn to do ministry by observing and doing. Take them with you as you do outreach. Let them be a helper as you teach children's Sunday school or children's church. Ask them to usher and to greet with you. A disciple of Jesus is someone who engages in ministry and finds ways to serve. And we can help them do that by taking them along with us as we do ministry. Discipleship is a process of making disciples who make disciples. See, it's, it's supposed to be a process like that. I make a disciple. The disciple I make makes disciples. That disciple makes disciples. Amen. That's, that's why we're here today. Someone has followed that progression down through history. And we need to continue that process. Jesus invested in the lives of twelve. He was not just interested in transferring knowledge to them. He was interested in them. In other words, Jesus discipled them holistically. He built relationships with them. He taught them God's Word. He lived God's Word before them. And He did ministry with them. And again... Then Jesus, when He went back to heaven, commissioned His disciples. He said, go make more disciples. And I say this again because I've said it earlier on. This command to make disciples applies to all who follow Jesus. It's not just my job. It's not the church board's job. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job. It's all our jobs. So, discipleship is a mandate for all Christians. And we do not have a choice. It's not so much about a program that someone signs up for. It must be the culture of our church where every member is committed to disciple others so that discipleship becomes a lifestyle and it results in making more disciples who will make more disciples who will make more disciples. And you know what? Jesus didn't just command us to make disciples. He modeled it for us. He said, this is how you do it. And He lived it. It is then our responsibility to obey Jesus and make disciples 
who make disciples. So, let's rehearse our mission statement again. The first aspect is... Okay, that's our outreach piece. The next aspect is... That's our evangelism piece. And the third aspect is... Amen. So we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Can we do that? Can we do that? Amen. Amen. Let's be faithful to God's call and mission for us as a church body so that we're reaching out, we're seeing people come to Jesus, and then we're discipling them so that they make disciples. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your call on our lives. And as we have looked at discipleship today, specifically how Jesus modeled making disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. I pray that we'll be a reaching out church. I pray that we'll be an evangelizing church. I pray that we will be a disciple-making church. That's what people of the kingdom do. That's what Jesus did. And Father, help us in coming days. We believe that You are at work in our community. We believe that You're at work in our church. We believe that there are great things that are going to happen. Good things to come. We want to be fully engaged in Your purpose and mission for us. And so, Father, help us to keep praying. Help us to keep obedient. Help us to have courage and boldness. And help us to change our communities because we are faithful followers of Jesus Christ who do, does what He commands and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in His grace and peace today.